Hi everyone, my name is Brandon Rodriguez and I will be your host for the Clemson Pride Living Library Podcast, a celebration of queer stories here at Clemson University. Each day, LGBTQ plus people will share stories of topics such as home, hobbies, love and family, religion and spirituality, and more. Before we get started, all views and opinions expressed in this podcast are not representative of Clemson University and or the Gantt Multicultural Center. Today's topic is gender expression and body positivity. We have an amazing lineup today who will be discussing what gender expression and or body positivity means to them. Up first is Kim Carter, who will be helping us explore the world of gender, gender expression, and drag. My name is Kim Carter and I work as an academic advising and coaching specialist for Clemson University. Um, I go by the pronouns she, her, or they, them. And you may know me by a different name. Um, Some people also know me as Dick Dangerous. um, And I've performed the last two years at the Clemson University uh, annual drag show. And today I'd like to talk to you about gender and gender expression and drag and my experience with all of those things. Um, I think the best place to start, as with anything, is at the beginning. Uh, I've always been an actor, a bit of a ham, some might say. I'm very much the youngest child in all of the uh, entertainer stereotypes that come along with that. And one of the reasons for me that theater has always been so special uh, is that it gave me an opportunity to express myself when in regards to gender um, in ways that I didn't necessarily have a lot of space to do elsewhere. Um, Since I was a really little kid, um, even in elementary plays, middle school plays, even all the way through high school, I was always trying out for the male roles. And theater was always really interesting for me because it it gave me that space to kind of try on and play around with who I was or who I wanted to be, kind of off stage too. And so you could you could kind of say that I've been doing drag for a really, really long time. I just didn't really know enough to call it drag. (laughs) Um, And a lot of that early experience of trying these things out and and kind of playing around with that really taught me a lot about connecting in with my masculinity and that side of me and that was always so much more comfortable. Um, I think I kind of pushed aside any sort of femininity, almost feeling like I was I was giving in, I was locking myself into something, into the way that the world wanted me to be, into the way that my, you know, as, as much as they tried not to pressure me, in the way that my family wanted me to be, in the way that, you know, 
kids at school, everybody seemed to expect me to to show up in spaces in a certain way that I didn't have to when I was on stage. And you could probably uh, rename this portion of this episode an uh, open love letter to drag. Um, because what I found later when I discovered drag and what that was and what I had been doing for such a long time, I discovered not only how to connect in with my masculinity, and not just a comfortable place to do that, but I also discovered the, the confidence and, and the way the, the way it made sense to me to connect into my femininity, which I had not allowed myself to do previous to that. And, and I think connecting in with that terrified me, it frustrated me because I could never quite do it right. I couldn't quite do it in the ways that other people wanted me to. And, you know, it just, it felt like an ill-fitted suit. <laughs> but discovering drag, and, and not just drag on television and in kind of that mainstream, but also drag at the very, very not mainstream, the very low budget. Um, it, it helped me to be able to connect with both those feminine and masculine pieces of myself without feeling like I was somehow locking myself in. And it, it let me be really comfortable in, in being authentically fluid in the ways that made sense to me. Um, one of my first experiences with drag was a show in Augusta, Maine, where I'm from, and it was a tiny, tiny production, maybe four drag queens, performing for an audience of probably 10, 20 people, maybe 20 people, and sitting in that audience and, and being a part of that was there was so much joy there in the ways that we were playing in that space together with what gender was and could be. And I mean, these the, we had, you had the oldest drag queen in the world, Miss Crystal Rose, who, who white knuckle gripped the, the, the banister on her way down to do crowd work because she didn't want to to, to slip and fall and she she just embodied all of those really classic what classic drag is um, to maybe her drag name was Charlotte I, I can't honestly remember but the thing that I remember most about about her was she was so young and she only did ballads with no choreography each of these people were in some way honing in on the pieces of femininity that made sense to them and that were comfortable to them and that made them feel good and confident. And watching these men tap into that, it expanded for me the possibility of what gender was and what it could be and what it could mean for me and how I could also tap into the pieces of femininity that made sense to me without leaving behind the masculinity that felt so comfortable and that made sense to me. 
And one of the most beautiful moments of, of that show, that tiny local production, was that they introduced Maine's oldest drag king who was sitting in the crowd and she she would have been on stage if she could have been um, but there were some circumstances that were not allowing her to be to physically be able to to do that but it really in a lot of ways unlocked that potential of oh this 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 inaction of blurring those lines of finding the pieces of of what gender can mean to you and, and embodying that and living that in such a joyful way. That's a possibility for me too. What was so additionally interesting was, was the end of the show when all of the queens came out and they had all taken off their makeup. There was no meet and greet line with them still in full drag. There were no high heels in sight, um, none of it. I, they had taken the, the makeup wipes and just stripped away all of that. And, and we got to see them in a much, much different way and in other ways that made sense to them and in other ways that they could find confidence with their masculinity even when they, 10 minutes before, had been finding that confidence and that, that joy in their femininity. And it was honestly beautiful to see that, to see both sides of a person and then to really be able to reflect in myself of, of how I could do that and how I could do that not just on stage as Dick Dangerous, but how I could do that also out living in the world. What are the pieces of my gender that I can that I can bring with me? And what are the pieces of gender that makes that makes up my own? Um, and how do I then express that so people can see who I am and see me for who I am? And I, I was I was talking to somebody the other day and and talking about what I would describe my gender as and how to me that that feeds into a lot of how I then express that outwardly with the clothing that I wear or the way that I show up in space or how I move and, and exist. And really when I was thinking about it, the best images that come to mind are either a, a, an old fuzzed out television, the black and white pixels, or, and this is maybe even more accurate, a radio that somebody is tuning. And you can, you can faintly hear intelligible words, but it's not ever quite resolved into something that you can pin down and that you can say, ah, that's what that is and, and lock that in. Thanks for listening and uh, I hope you have a great day. We'll be right back.
Up next, we'll be hearing from Megan and Chelsea. Hi, it's Megan and Chelsea again, and we are discussing body positivity. Right. This is important in our lives. This is very important. We're both fat women, um, and we will call ourselves fat uh, as a way of kind of pushing against the expectation, the, the, the standard belief that fat is a negative attribute, but um, I'm fat. I also have blue eyes. Um, you know, Beautiful blue eyes. Thank you, dear. I love you, too. Yay. Yay. We're mushy like that. Um, and so that is something um, that isn't an inherent negative. Yeah. Right? There, there's nothing you can tell about a fat person other than that they're fat. Right? Um, fatness is not directly equal to health. Um, it's not directly equal to strength. It's not directly equal to laziness. Um, I mean, apart from being mentally ill, um, I'm in really good health. And, mm-hmm. you know, we are really strong, you know, carrying a few hundred pounds of chicken food across the property uh, every week. And... Which is funny because this is Chelsea speaking, in case you can't tell our voices apart. I think of myself as very much the weaker one of the two of us because Megan is like twice as strong as I am. And then I go help someone else with something and I'm like, oh, okay, I could throw you over my shoulder. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, no, you know, I'm I'm Scottish. Um, 100% Scottish. They breed their women to be able to throw a sheep over their shoulder. Right. And run from the sauce and ox. The, the, the English, if you aren't familiar with the, the Scots Gaelic there. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm designed to have, you know, reserves uh, <laughs> to last through, you know, whatever the English are doing to us this century. Um, and, <sighs> but I think in, in thinking of myself, and I went through the, the, the diets and the yo-yos, and my parents put me on a whole bunch of, of diets, um, some really, really awful um, that I'm still literally traumatized from. Um, yeah, and... hospitalized for anorexia at one point. Yeah, yeah, thanks for that one. Which her mother denies ever happened. That, that's how they approach anything about me that doesn't matter. Right. Um, but now with this, like, you know, I'm fat, I'm happy, I'm in good health. I see my doctor uh, every six months, mm-hmm. uh, check in on mental health and everything else. And, you know, the I've been the same weight for... 15 years now yeah um and you know we we a lot of local Mm -hmm. a lot of stuff we grow ourselves yeah um and it's you know just food is food is not moral and we need to remember that yeah food is something to give us pleasure and energy yeah, and, and exercise is something that gives us pleasure and energy. There's a, a blogger called The Fat Nutritionist who talks about we have both an appetite for nourishment and an appetite for movement. And I think that's a really beautiful way to think about the body mm-hmm. as this wonderful, lovely machine that wants to eat a salad sometimes and wants to eat chocolate sometimes and wants to run or wants to sleep mm-hmm. or and, and when we found that phrasing and this has been well, a few years now like that that was a phrasing that we really took to heart mm-hmm. because it's like oh this is a way to frame you know exercise 
uh, as, as something that the body wants, that's something I can give my body rather than yeah. a punishment. I have to do this to fix myself. Yeah, and instead it's it's like a gift you can give yourself. Yeah, and from that it's like, I mean, that, that got us into doing, you know, some uh, low-key walking marathons. Yes. Um, and yes, we have a medal from the Hogwarts um, walking club. Yeah, that was awesome. Um, and yeah, it, it gives us a, a sense of, you know, my body is strong. Um, I can, our, our brother, Chelsea's brother, actually was a linebacker. Um, and played college football and track and I can out-wrestle that guy. There's more than he just did track. He's oh, yeah. now a track coach. Okay, He fine. nearly qualified for the Olympics, but had a back injury. Yeah. Poor, poor bastard. I love him okay. so much. And uh, technically he's a throws coach, but it's all track and field. And I don't really understand it, but I'm trying to learn more about it because I love my brother. Yes. He, he throws heavy balls. And heavy cylindrical things. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to tell them how you describe this. Don't you dare. It'll be amazing. <laughs> um, but yeah, this is, you know, this is my body at its strongest is when, you know, I am feeding it what it has an appetite for, mm -hmm. whether that's food or sleep or movement. Um, or dirt. Or dirt. We have a whole joke about Chelsea. There's dirt on your nose. You must be happy because I need to go out and dig sometimes and... Hey, yeah, that's one of those science things, like getting into the dirt helps release serotonin. And... There are also some new bacteria that, mm -hmm. I think I'm using that term correctly, that live in the soil that produce um, generalized happy hormones in humans. So, Which is awesome. Which is really cool. Yeah. So, you know, we, we do a lot of that. And mm -hmm. a lot of people, you know, will only think, you know, that, that your body is... Your body is a good body if it's, you know, doesn't have fat and it only has muscle. It's like, you know, you have to have fats to make your brain process. Right. Um, and so we're, we're good and strong. She does digging. I dig. I am very, very good at digging holes in South Carolina red clay. Yeah, if you need a hole dug, send us an email. Um, we do all our own fencing on the farm. We do Which, all our own everything. No, not ev Okay, pretty much. What have we hired in? Uh, we bought geese to mow the lawn. We did buy geese to mow the lawn. Um, we breed geese. Uh, we can talk geese for a very, very long time, but but geese we are not one of the topics we've been given to discuss. Uh, you can check us out on LochNessFarm.com. Um, geese are fat. Fat geese are wonderful and tasty. There you go. Yes, it's relevant. I'm assuming I would also be tasty if you were inclined to roast I mean, me for Christmas dinner. There's so many jokes right now. They said to keep this relatively PG-13. All I said was there was jokes. Okay, fine. Well, anyway, I dig holes, and I'm very good at it. Yeah. And I have some bee bomb to plant in my yard, and I'm excited about that. Yeah. And we do a lot of reliance on our, our kind of fatness as a as a form of privilege for giving, uh, for reducing the threat that we pose, yeah, uh, to other people, um, because we we look we look like the embodiment of the mom friend, and we we We're really cuddly. are. 
we're cuddly. One of my friends in high school actually told me, I like hugging you because you're all warm and squishy. And it's one of the best compliments I've ever gotten. Like, we are soft and, you know, that's, that's something that if people can look past this cultural assumption of, um, you know, fat is lazy and unhealthy, um, you know, then they'll be able to actually, you know, live a better life. And maybe we can start to get a desk at this university that might actually fit people comfortably. There is a thought. Right. I went to grad school at Clemson, spent the entire time with the little flippy desks in the lecture halls just turned up. Yeah, they, they don't really fit us. And, but then again, they're not comfortable for anyone. That's true. And this is one of those things about bodies and design and thinking about, like, we're designing for an ideal body instead of designing for different bodies mm-hmm. and as many bodies and you know i'm a, all bodies all brains um are good yeah all all bodies are good all types of brains are good all neurotypes you know and mental illness um chelsea and i both um have anxiety and depression and yep. use medication for it and that's another part of our our sense of self like it, it, it would be weird for me not to think of myself as a fat woman, even though I've been very, very skinny. Um, scary. Scary. The pictures are terrifying. Yeah. Like, hosp- like literal hospitalization. Um, but my body also just doesn't produce enough serotonin. And I've had trauma, and some of that trauma is written on my skin, and some of it's written in my brain. But it's, it's me. Yeah. It's what makes me me. And I think we have too much stigma about fatness and too much stigma about trauma and too much stigma about mental illness um, that we really have to break through all of that in order to be able to celebrate the self in, you know, even in the ways of, you know, calling from Walt Whitman. Yeah. You know, but... And I think that's one of the beautiful places that queerness and body positivity intersect. Because just living one's life and saying, I am here, and your idea, your box, your shape for what a person should look like is over there, but guess what? I am here. Yeah. Yeah, and that's, you know, I'm here and I'm queer, I'm here and I'm fat, I'm here and I'm mentally ill, I'm here and, you know, whatever is is the call that it's no wonder that even literary scholars look at the intersections of disability studies and trauma studies and career studies because it's all these forms of how do you not fit the, the box that society has built for you uh, and now for Chelsea and I it's how many ways can we break the box while still coming across this kind of you know cuddly and right, we, accepting and non-threatening because I'm actually, totally willing to work with the stereotype when it benefits when it, people. When it benefits other people, yeah. It's like, alright, fine. I, we haven't broken the box. We've done a nice expansion in a couple mm-hmm. of places, put in a few windows, did some nice like interior design. It was great. That was amazing. I love it. <laughs> so, but yeah, this is this is us. Yeah. And I wish more people could have the kind of sense of of comfort in their skin that Chelsea and I have, have come together and developed even more so together. Yeah, because part of it is we're, we're both fat women and our love and appreciation for each other extends 
our very physical appreciation of each other extends to appreciation of ourselves. Yeah. So in that way, the Freud, you know, right. would have a field day with us. Right, yes, that is also the stereotype. But, but. I, I'll embrace that one, too. We'll be right back. Closing us out today, we'll be hearing from Rachel and Crystal on what body positivity means to them. Okay, so I am Crystal here with Rachel and we are talking about body positivity. Yes. Um, so I think this is a tough topic for both of us in the sense of maybe not necessarily knowing exactly what to say about it. Um, but one of the things that I thought about when I thought about body positivity is the idea that I don't think I always felt good about my body. Not necessarily that I hated it, but I think um, realizing that the way that I was raised to look traditionally as a black woman who was raised in a, a straight, household with semi-religious parents um, and slightly conservative parents um, isn't necessarily reflective of how I saw myself and felt the most comfortable. And I think realizing that there might be moments where I might have to change some things about my presentation or my clothing and how much some of those changes that I could make once I was no longer there um, could really change the way I thought about my body and just the power and being able to look in the mirror and see someone looking back at me that was reflective of how I felt inside. So I think for me getting to a place where I use my body as a way to express myself, um, whether that's feeling sexy or feeling more butch or, you know, feeling like I don't give a fuck that day just trying to figure out how I can express that in a way that felt authentic for me helped with my body positivity yeah I um I definitely don't feel like I'm an expert on this both in terms of um it's not an area of of content um or topics that I've explored um extensively in literature and you know as a as a faculty member and a scholar I put a lot of credence in doing that right and, and being well read on a subject and I'm just not around body positivity but I've also lived in this queer fat body for my entire life and so I do have some thoughts I have some experiences and I and I, I um uh I hold as a value that that experiential knowledge is also a valuable source of um, understanding and knowledge construction. So I think about um, how being um, identifying as fat and identifying fat politically in terms of um, not uh, not necessarily just an identity that's created um, in terms of um, a failing of character, right? Like a failing to be disciplined or a failing to be um, healthy or a failing to be um, appropriately um, 
fitting an idea of um, uh, sexual attractiveness or physical attractiveness that's mostly been constructed for like a white male cis gaze. Um, I, I've, I don't necessarily see fat as flaw. Um, and that has taken probably like, I'm 45 now, probably at least the first 38 to 40 years of my life. Um, mm -hmm. And I yo-yo dieted, like, I think I've been on a diet at some point in my life almost continuously from like 11 to 40 mm. which wow. is unbelievable to think about right like I almost cussed there <laughs> um it's it's just sort of mind-blowing that that so much of my attention what could that attention have been at on right like what kind of creative and generative products um, and projects could I have been involved in in the time that I have counted calories and obsessed over pounds and inches and what have you. So that notwithstanding, um, I think about I think about fatness now as um, having an understanding of how how has the rhetorical climate, the media. Um, our assumptions of business as usual and the, the physical environment itself essentially um, work together to tell me that my body is unacceptable, right? Everything from like, I don't fit in an airplane seat and coach comfortably to the new recliners in the movie theater squeeze my hips, right? Like. <laughs> The ways in which environments, like a lot of what we learned, I think, around disability studies and crip studies, um, around how environments disable, I think also have been taken up by um, activists and um, scholar practitioners and, and um, theater folk around um, fatness as a politic. Um, and that is something I've gotten more and more um, engaged with as I, as I um, matured, but um, oh my God, it's taken a long time and this shit is really insidious, right? It like comes at you all of the time. Like the number of people on my media feed right now who are um, sharing some form of, you know, better check to see if your jeans still fit while we're all under quarantine is pretty intense, you know? Yeah. Super. So I mean, I think as a black woman um, who's done a lot of research on fat talk, so um, the idea that women historically connect over talking about their bodies in a negative way mm. is something that I've researched. And when I first started researching it, the first thing I thought was black women don't do that shit mm. um, because it's not normative in many of our communities to talk negatively about our bodies in the same way. Mm -hmm. A lot of that comes from being in, I can't even say Western culture, because that's not it, being around white people um, mm -hmm. who talk about their bodies in negative ways and it becomes more normative um, because being in a black community around strong, powerful, big black women mm -hmm. um, has made me see that that's not necessarily a bad thing. But I will say that coming to the end of my doctorate, I finally got to a place where I'm like, well, I guess 
technically, according to my scale, I am fat. Mm -hmm. um, but um, I feel weird saying it now because I'm like, all those years that I was around all those white people who were starving themselves and on diets, <laughs> and I get to the end of the road where I'm almost done, I'm the most educated I've ever been, I'm in a relationship and nobody cares what I eat. Now I decided <laughs> to identify as fat. Um, but I think for me, I, I've never felt a whole lot of pressure for my body size to be a certain way. And because I identify as somebody where when I'm really, really stressed, I lose weight. So when I lose weight in my community, people are like, what's wrong with you? Are you okay? You need to eat. Um, so I've never felt that cultural pressure, but for me, it was more just around you know, I had a different idea about what sexy was or a different idea about what me as a woman wanted to look like um, because I didn't feel like I could connect with all the like black church ladies in my family. Like you wouldn't catch me in pantyhose or <laughs> <laughs> I like wearing dresses, but I like them to be a little tight or you know, I also feel just as comfortable in baggy jeans. Um, so I think for me, I got a lot more pushback when I didn't look traditionally feminine or when my feminine was more provocative than maybe um, was supposed to be acceptable for me as a black woman mm. um, because of, you know, just being queer and being able to push the limits of my presentation and getting positive feedback within my queer community about that and getting negative feedback about that within my black community, that was really challenging to try and find a middle um, that was also professionally acceptable um, for me. Um, and I think I've gotten to a point where I feel really comfortable with everything I wear and for the most part how I look. Um, but I think it was more along the lines of what is feminine, what is too masculine, were more of like the ways that I felt I had to overcome negative messages about my body. Mm -hmm. So I think it was a little bit different. And then, you know, doing the research, you know, the me search, my master's program of like, well, I didn't get this pressure about um, feeling fat or whatever. Um, so doing the research to show that, in fact, not a lot of Black women who are socialized around other Black women got a lot of that pressure to be smaller, um, but they acquired it later on, being in community with other people who normalize talking about their bodies in a negative way to connect. Mm -hmm. um, so it was interesting. Um, I think I'm comfortable with who I am and how I look now. And, um, but I think it was also because I had to kind of start from scratch and be like, I need to create an image that makes me feel like me. And I think somehow I landed on a red weave and, um, <laughs> <It's working. laughs> and you know, a couple tattoos. So there you go. <laughs> that is a perfect place to end and so timely. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> <laughs> Any final words? Or are we good? I think we're good. Awesome. Pleasure <laughs> chatting. <laughs>
Before we close out, I want to thank all of our fantastic guests for sharing their amazing stories today about gender expression and body positivity, as well as to everyone who participated in this podcast series. We truly couldn't have done it without you. We also want to thank our sponsor, the Gay Multicultural Center, for making this podcast series happen. Now, we hope you enjoyed today's episode, and be sure to tune in tomorrow for our next one. Until then, have a fantastic day.